come and celebrate the delights of knitting and crochet at Farnham Malting's 8th Unravel Festival. Join us for over three days and enjoy a diverse programme of creative workshops, talks, demonstrations and exhibitions led by the UK and international experts. Browse and buy bespoke yarns and accessories from our marketplace of quality exhibitors and head home afterwards bursting with inspiration for new projects and a wealth of expert advice. Get together with familiar faces and make new friends at this much-loved knitting meet for all ages and abilities. Hello! And welcome to the first POMcast of 2016. Woohoo! Happy Woo! New Year! Happy New Year, everyone! Um, I'm Lydia Gluck, and I'm joined, as I am, every month with the lovely Sophie Scott. Hi! Hi, guys! Or by the lovely Sophie Scott. I said Hi! With. Oh, with. Oh, I'll take with either one. Bye. <laughs> so, maybe it's your New Year's resolution to listen to more podcasts, and we think it's a good idea you've chosen this one. Well done. Uh, <laughs> If this is your first time listening to the podcast, or even if you know the drill, this is what we've got coming up for you. Um, mainly knitting stuff, as you probably guessed. We have Tell and Tell, where we tell each other and you guys about our knits, and the triumphs and tribulations, the pitfalls and the peaks and troughs of what it's like <laughs> knitting that. Uh, we also have uh, news and reviews, including the title with this, and this week we're looking at, I said, I'll say week, did it again. <laughs> this month we're looking at uh, Nurturing Fibres yarn. We are indeed. Also, we have an interview uh, with the amazing Sarah Corbett, who is known for her craftivism work, and she is a craftivist. Yeah, if you don't know what that is, stay tuned, and you will be converted. Yeah, and even if you do know what it is, she's pretty great. Yeah, lovely lady. I felt so enthused after that interview, so good, you will too. Let's listen to it again. <laughs> um, and then we have top tips. We have lots of entertaining knitting chats. We have a top three as well, which comes at the end, and we also have a brand new section that we'll reveal later. I'm glad you remembered it, because I knew there was something <laughs> else I had to mention. It's so new that we're still remembering it. <laughs> so welcome, or welcome back, whichever applies to you. And uh, if this is the first one you listen to, we hope you're enjoying the journey so far. <laughs> <laughs> the only way is up, I think, from here. Oh, good point. If you miss anything we chat about, uh, we do a blog post every podcast. We do, we do. So um, if we mention anything and you, you know, want to find out more about it, you can go and click away. Sometimes there are fun photographs of us. Bonus photos. Yeah, if you wonder what these uh, faces look like. <laughs> the the radio faces that we have. <laughs> <laughs> you can find them online. Facebook podcast. <laughs> um, and yeah. It's the website? www.pompommag.com slash slash forward slash podcast. podcast. Yeah, exactly. Cool. So can we try and we'll seamlessly now move from our fun intro into tell and tell. I like it. Is that yeah. like a seamless knit? You've knit that in the round. Hey. hey. <laughs> yes. So tell and tell. Uh, Sophie, tell me about what you've been knitting. Well, I'm knitting something seamlessly as are you? As the coincidence would be. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I mentioned it a couple of podcasts ago. I'm doing Garland, which is like a. Uh, pom-pom cover star from mm -hmm. like a couple of years ago maybe three years ago now now we're in 2016 whoa Oof. Uh, it's like a fun mohair boxy jumper you did mm. a version of it and I've just shamelessly copied you that's okay it's the sincerest form of flattery yeah indeed so I hear <laughs> <laughs> I've never really knit with mohair before obviously you have slippery slippery a little mm. bit having to be a little bit more mindful of that yeah. like I cast on and I was like oh what am I doing why did I decide to knit with this floofy <laughs> I know, I think in retrospect, because I almost exclusively use very pointy metal needles, specifically Chagu needles, if anyone's interested. Mm. <laughs> they happen to be my personal fa favourite. Um, so I pretty much knit with those. But this, And that was the first project I've made in a long time where I thought, you know what, I could do with some wooden needles. Mm. It made me think, you know what I need to do? Buy more knitting tools. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I don't have enough of? Knit stuff. <laughs> You'd think I have enough. I don't. Never enough. <laughs> so that could be a New Year's resolution for me. Anyway, anyway, tell me more about your your. Is that your main project? That's my new main project at the moment. Um, I did knit a tiny hat over Christmas. <laughs> um, as a Christmas decoration? No, sorry. I need to elaborate on this. So I think I met, I definitely mentioned in the December podcast saying, uh, "Oh, I'm just knitting a black hat for the boy." Mm. You know, very simple. Mm. Did that. Got it done in time. And he tried it on and he was like, oh, man, I think it's a little bit big. And I was like, oh, it is, isn't it? Damn. So Maybe he has a tiny head like me. Well, yes. 
We have discussed this tiny <laughs> Also I have a lot of thick hair, so I think for me any hat's too small. So I was like, alright, I'll make you another hat. So this is the kind of like joke or like comment that only knitters can get now. So I used a four millimeter needle. I went down to a 3.25. <whistles> That's the thing, you know. I explained that to him and he was like, mm-hmm. Does it fit now? So it literally it's it's like a it's like putting an acorn <laughs> cap on someone, but like a human's head, you know. So it does fit? It does fit. But it's very snug. I think it's ridiculous. It doesn't even cover his ears, but that's what he wants. That's what the kids are wearing these days, apparently. Oh, he wants a fashion hat. Yeah. There we go. And I'm like, no, here's your bonnet, put it on nice <laughs> down to your neck. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad he, you know, got the hat he wants. He got the hat, that's yeah, more of the story, tiny hat, tiny hats take less yarn and a quicker. Yeah, everyone's happy. Do you did you unravel the original? No, I kept hat? the original hat. Cool. Because so he, you can have his and hers hats. Well, kind of. It's like <laughs> is that the kind of couple we're becoming? I had I think you should embroider eyes onto them yeah. so they have funny eyes. I don't know why. Well, the reason I had I didn't unravel the first hat because I bought a second skein because within this, he's lost two of the hats that I've knit him already anyway in the course of our relationship and. <laughs> Such as love that I've knit, an, I've knit a new He's one. Pushing it, isn't he? Yeah. Bought a second skein just in case. Ended up using that second skein for the hat. <laughs> well, I'm glad that that he got the hat that yeah, he needed. Yeah, so the story. Anyway, what are you knitting? Well, I um I am knitting a Turnberry jumper, which is from Pom Pom, issue fifteen. Very nice. And well, current. Very current. Yes. I am with the program and you need to get with it. (laughs) (laughs) So it's got a kind of like lacy body um, and like a sort of twisted rib yoke. Yes. It's got a mousy grey, isn't it? If people can think of that in the magazine. Yeah, the original is like a really unusual neutral Mm. that I think you've described quite well there. Mouse. (laughs) Mouse coloured. And I'm knitting it in another slightly odd neutral which is oh wool it's their sock yarn um and it's called pearly muscle oh which is quite a strange name but it's it's I very think I pulled that in German. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like this kind of sort of pale lavendery gray oh gorgeous it's very very pretty and everybody i've showed the color to it's like, wow, that's an amazing colour. I have no idea how to describe it. It's one of those really cool in-between... So do it now. Describe it now where people can't see it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't do better than kind of... It's like a grey lavender. But it sort of feels like... Um, you know, if you get a good sunset and the sky goes kind of purple. Mm. Like, pink and orange, I feel, are quite... Or like twilight sky, maybe. Ooh. Is it kind it goes... of more like Mother of Pearl kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, it's not... Because it, it is a flat colour... But it's, there's something weird. Yeah, it's just, I guess, when your eyes, when you see colours you're not used to, they tend to change more, I guess, depending what they're next to, because you haven't just got a name to give them. You know, like, if you know that something's red, I feel like no matter, even if it's next to a different colour, or, like, it's very dark, or the light's very yellow or very green, it doesn't change the way you see that colour. But when you don't know what a colour is, it sort of changes and shifts more. Does that make this sense? interesting, Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And also, I suppose with knitting, I think colours can look so different in the skein. Yes. And then, because you're seeing quite a saturated form of it, Mm. and then when you knit it, obviously light's coming through it, and that can completely change the... Yeah, and because the main body of it is lacy, Mm. so that kind of changed it. Yeah. So, So like, what colour you wear underneath. Exactly. There's so many. And also next to your skin and next to other clothes that you're wearing. So mm. colours, I need to see this. multifaceted Why I see things. This yet? I actually, I actually have it. Wait, I'll show it to you. What, guys? Wait, what? Okay. So in real time, I'm going to show Sophie this colour. <laughs> you can hear my. That's the project bag opening. I don't know if you're ready for this. I'm showing her a sleeve. Oh, oh, it's more lap. It's more kind of. It's more. Dusky. It looks pink in this light. For some reason, I thought it was more creamy, but it's like. It's like a grey. But in this light, oh. it looks to me a lot more. Like pinky grey, then I, yeah, I feel like every time I look at it, it's different. Nice. Describing colours uh, via podcast. <laughs> Let us know what you think. Next week, smells. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's lovely. These are good things. Yes. And um, I'm also plotting, I w- I'm going to make the um, headband from uh, Take Heart, the book by Fiona Adams. I want to do that published. as well. Mm. I have the yarn all lined up, so that's all very exciting. And. I think that's... And I'm also plotting some knits from our upcoming spring issue. Hey, hey. But we'll keep that to the news section, I think. Okay. Is it news now or is it top tip? 
Well, we've told and told. So mm-hmm. should we have a quick knitting resolutions interlude? I'd like that. So do you remember what resolutions... Do you remember any of the... Like, I, I, did you make any regular resolutions or just knitting ones? Uh, This year or last year, do you mean? Let's say both. both. Start with last year, move to this year. Last year, we'll go chronologically. if you listen to the podcast last year, we had resolutions, and we were like, yeah, let's look them up and we'll find out what they were. And actually, it's a good thing that we didn't look them up because it's now trying to remember what we said we'd do. And Can't remember. I can remember one. I said I definitely wanted to use Ravelry more, like upload more projects. Uh, I yes. think I did a little bit of that, but I can try a bit harder. I've got a feeling I wanted to do more colour work. Oh, good. I don't think I did that. Yeah, maybe if you guys made any solutions, did you keep them? Or yeah. Are you making any this year? Discuss. You can join our uh, thread on the Ravelry group. We always like to hear what you're talking about. And you can berate us for not living up to our knitting <laughs> resolutions <laughs> or encourage us. You choose. Yeah. <laughs> human. <laughs> um, so are you going to make any knit illusions this year? Uh, I said not to buy any yarn and considering we're Whoa. 21 days into the year. I've, done, right. I've, done, I've done very well. Well done you. Um, I don't know. Okay. Okay, cool. Okay, that's, I don't even sound convinced. I've made the resolution. <laughs> yeah, you have. By myself. wishy-washy there. Um... I haven't... Oh, you know what? My regular resolution, my non... I, there is a world outside of knitting. I don't know if anyone's seen it recently, but I believe it exists. And last year... Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I know Sounds it's, overrated. It's red pill, blue pill. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Point is... Anyway, so I made a resolution last year. My resolution was to keep a diary. That's a good like resolution. Like I used to when I was younger. And this is going to be a very... I'm going to make this quick because this could go on a little bit. But yeah, so I decided to make uh, start writing a, a, a journal for Americans, I think. Yeah. So, like, not just keeping track of dates and times and things, but, you know, writing, like, a kind of teenage dear girl diary. style. Yeah, dear diary, today was really difficult because I stubbed my toe and, you know, all that kind of stuff. It does sound difficult. So-and-so doesn't like me. and um, So I did, actually, quite successfully keep a diary more than I have done, certainly for the last few years. But while I was home over Christmas, I found my teenage diaries. Oh, this sounds good. What oh, happened? Oh, my God. Well, I found them. And first of all, I was confused because they were right next to my bed at my mom's house. She hadn't got to flick through. Well, I just, I didn't even live in that house when oh. I was writing in those diaries. So it's weird to me that they were, anyway. So I was so like. You're making an archive of your thoughts. Yeah, so I you guess. Like... So I, I read bits of them and they read like. A middle-aged man's idea of what a teenage girl's diary should be. <laughs> they are so cliched. Like, and it's almost like when I was writing them, I was projecting. I can remember the feeling of trying to project what I thought my diary should be like. Oh, really? So it's actually quite unsatisfying to read because although it does chronicle events and feelings, it's not, doesn't feel like I wrote it. But I suppose I didn't write, you know, that was me more than 10 years ago. I think one of the important things, I've read, written a diary for like years, and like mm. since I was five, so I have a lot of, yeah, yeah, weird teenage diaries. And I think the thing is of doing a diary, one of the reasons I like it is because you look at it, you go cringe, you're like, oh God, oh, what an idiot, or like you're in a relationship, or you're mm. doing a situation, you're like, mm. oh God, you know, get out of that situation, or like, oh, why are you still doing that, or why didn't you start doing that? Yeah. I think you need that just to be like, hmm, I'm a different person now, I can look back and consider... Yeah. develop and grow one would hope it's good and as a little aside i recently started listening to the mortified podcast in which people read from their, good. from diaries and i actually did read bits of my diary to some of my friends which was mortifying but also hilarious and Very fun. together I'm sure. and it's one of those things that like is quite a nice feeling because it feels like this really potentially stressful thing to share, you know, especially if I'd have known 10 years ago that I would have read out this diary to my friends, that would have just felt awful. But there's something really liberating about just reading it. And they're like, ha that's funny. And then you're like, oh, and, it's and the world is still the same. Oh. Anyway, anyway, so this year's resolution, I don't know if I have one. Maybe I'll come back to that okay. later. All right. Maybe we'll touch on this. Uh, Maybe at the podcast. end when we wrap or, or next. Yeah, next month. OK, so news. News. Well, as we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, we have our sponsor, Unravel Festival, because coming up is Unravel Festival. Yay! Yes, it is coming up in February. It's Friday the 19th to Sunday the 21st, all of those days in a row. Love it. You can get tickets from uh, the Maltings website, because the Maltings is where it's held. Mm -hmm. So if you like your yarn festivals, fun, friendly and full of fibre, not as in like Weetabix and stuff, shredded wheat, 
I mean, they might have that as well, but that's not really Bonus! <laughs> you should come check it out. You certainly should. And uh, there'll be lots of our favourites there. John Arben are there. Rachel Coopy, Fiona Alice. I won't do too much listing now. We should probably... I was going to say. We yeah. like... <laughs> you know what's fun on podcasts? Lists. <laughs> said no one ever. Except for the list podcast. Except for this one. Anyway, yes. So I that said is... the list podcast. Oh, the list. Oh, yeah. Oh, the list. <laughs> Got to listen to that. Got it listed. <laughs> I like that we both did the same goofy joke. Too, too the same easy, time. too easy. Um, so that is coming up, and we will be there, the both of us. Yes. So if you. Sorry, I didn't sound convinced with that. I will yeah. be. <laughs> if you want to see our faces for radio, not just on the internet, but in real life as well, and if you want to find out if I really do laugh like this in true life, and I do, I'm sorry to inform you, um, then we will be doing uh, a little. Q&A with Vera Valamaki. Yeah, we did a fun one with Anna Subo... Subo? Is that her surname? Yes. And Bristol Ivy. Last year. Last yeah. year. So, you know, thanks for everyone who came along to those. And this year, Vera will be, will be on the Friday. Mm-hmm. And we'll be asking her questions and talking to her. And this leads us nicely onto the next big bit of news, which is... Interpretations. Interpretations. Um, if you haven't come across interpretations, they... There's two uh, volumes so far. This is Vera Valmaki and... And... Hoki Locatelli. Exactly. Um, who've been working together. Um, there's a, a theme for each book, a uh, sort of word that they work yeah. from. Yeah. If you guys might know this, if you have listened to our interview with Hoki Locatelli. Mm-hmm. Getting there with the pronunciation now. <laughs> uh, yeah, we interviewed her and she talked about her process of doing this project with Vera, um, designing the patterns about words. And yeah... Interpretations 3 is on its way. Certainly is. And um, we, Pom Pom Press, will be publishing all three volumes in print. So the first two uh, volumes exist digitally already, as will the third. But we're going to put them on paper, on the lovely paper that we use for Pom Pom Quarterly and for um, Take Heart, so that you can add them to your IRL library as well as your online library. Nice reference. Nice little uh, uh, internet acronym there. So I don't know if my voice is showing how excited I am about this. Be I feel more like, excited. I feel like I'm sort of like, okay, just talk about it kind of reasonably. And no, we're very, very, very excited. We're so pleased um, to be able to be working with Hohi and with Vera because they are both such giants of the design world, I think it's fair yeah, to say. Yeah, definitely. They're both very talented and very lovely incidentally but also design i mean boxy has got to be one of the most like you're describing just them. they're both they're quite box shaped <laughs> <laughs> no but they like to wear boxy jumpers yes right? well, he does. yeah um they color have kind affection of color effect that's exactly. a classic from vera you probably yeah. know that one like oh yeah no one yeah. knows stuff and if you know of those and you haven't seen their interpretations collections you should definitely check those out but uh so we'll have those books at unravel we will have the print copies at Unravel. Yeah, I think we've sold you Unravel now. Yeah, I think we might have. Sounds done. good. We'll see you there. If, awesome. I mean, it's just. In, I think it's enough that we'll be there. So yeah. I think we're the main attraction. <laughs> what also will be there within the pom pom uh, press theme will be the spring issue, twenty sixteen. Indeed. So that will be out very very soon. Depending when you're listening to this podcast, it might already be out. Coming out beginning of February, and we've gone for a, a theme of undyed yarns. So all the pieces. Um, use shades. Are sheepy shades, or not all sheepies, but definitely undyed shades. Sheepies <laughs> is a fun word. Anyway, for many reasons. Anyway, um, there's a lot of there's a lot of geometry, um, a lot of doorbells, a lot of doorbells. <laughs> podcast delivery. <laughs> I ordered this podcast thirty minutes ago. <laughs> well, it's free if it's late. So. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of geometry. Um, clean lines, clean shapes. Exactly. There are many garments. Um, but I'll leave it to you guys to look up. You can find it online in all the usual places, i.e. our website. And we'll link to it through the blog. So we're very excited about that. And excited about spring in general. Hooray! I, it kind of felt a little springy today. Because yeah. the sun... And, I heard a bird. That was it. That was it. <laughs> you heard a bird. I heard a bird. Well, in London, you know, if you're not... You're either here police siren yeah like oh i heard a bird <laughs> yeah it felt like snow white <laughs> so that's also part of the news news flash I, I heard a bird <laughs> news flash 
So have you heard of it? <laughs> Lydia ate a mini egg. That is the first sign of spring. Yeah, actually, yeah. For this, this podcast snack is brought to you by mini eggs. <laughs> Bought some for Lydia. She what? looked a bit sad when I came in. I was like, don't worry. I bought you mini eggs. I'm well known for my complete and you look sad. You look tired. You adoration yeah. of mini eggs. And I, when I was, uh, when I was able to eat more sugar than I'm able to now, i.e. when I was a bit younger, I used to buy two bags of mini eggs at a time. One for me and one for sharing. So, I, didn't, I didn't do that. Oh, Sophie didn't do that, so she has to share with me, yeah. which is a shame <laughs> for her because I love mini eggs. Okay. So today we are reviewing Nurturing Fibres DK. So it's called, sorry, Super Twist DK. And Sophie has their little piece of knitting in a very pretty kind of purpley colour. But before I ask her about what it's like to knit with, we'll just do a little uh, roundup of what the yarn is like. Or oh, sorry, where it comes from. So it's Nurturing Fibres who make lace, sock, and DK. As I said, we have the DK. It's right here. It's in my house. right here. I can see it and everything. So nice. it's a super fine merino, and it's South African merino, um, and it's produced in an environmentally friendly way, which is always good to That's know. That's a bonus. Mm-hmm. And their colorways are inspired by nature, travel, and family, which all sound like oh, nice things. Oh, my favorite things. So many good things. And... Um, the current palette on offer is called the Vintage Palette and was de- developed in mid-2015 after two trips to Paris to visit um, the Dyer's great-aunt. So that's like a nice that's little nice. background yeah. there. And so tell me, Sophie, your experience of knitting with the nice yarn. So, <laughs> <laughs> the end. Um, so I've been working with the double knitting. Um, merino, I think one of the nice things for Merino, it's very smooth. It's quite nice to knit with because mm-hmm. you don't have any sort of, especially because I've been knitting with mohair recently. I'm like, yes. oh, the smoothness of this yarn. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's a nice quality, very easy to knit with. There's a very subtle uh, sheen to it. So yes. it's a nice kind of uh, even quality. Mm-hmm. Also the colour I've been working with, um, those are all hand dyed. There's like a soft undulation of the colour. It's like a lavendery one that I've mm. gone for, which is... Uh, Smoky Night? Let me double check that. Russell, Russell. Smoky Nights. Oh, oh Sophie. <laughs> Let's just... I'm going to look at some other colours. We have some really noisy sweet... bag. I know, it's a very noisy bag. We have some very... I can see why the palette is called Vintage. Yes. They ha- I have some cute mini skeins here. There is one called Quince. It's kind of like a peachy orange... And we have Summer Meadow. This is fun. You can just describe. I'll say the names and you can describe them. Summer Meadow. Summer Meadow is like a meadow in summer. It's a kind of like hay. So like the meadow has been turned to hay. Hey, hey. So it's a kind of... A meadow that's been speckled with dusty wildflowers. Yes. But the grass has died because it's kind of like... (laughs) That's why I meant by dusty. (laughs) Okay, fine. Grass has died. (laughs) In a good way. It's like the hazy, uh, you know, very warm evening of August, you know. There's probably some crickets. Definitely crickets. Mm-hmm. Okay. People got sea glass. Sea glass is like duck egg yes. lost in the sea. Cool. And vintage rose is like a Parisian kiss. Ooh. May we. And the, the, all of them have the lovely kind of hand-dyed quality. Um, but this meadow, uh, meadow, summer meadow one has little speckles. Yeah, that's like little it. dots of colour. And what was the other one that we got? Oh, it was Stormy Night. Yeah, that was kind of grey with like little uh, purpley red. Little flecks as well. Turquoisey flecks. So, you wow. might that one. <laughs> I did. I like grey and I like speckles. So, yes. Um, wait, what would you, what would we make with this yarn? I think this would be really nice for baby things. This yes. yarn, it's nice and smooth, and the co- I think it's when you want to make that little bit of a more special baby knit. Yeah, definitely. And the colours are quite kind of soft, but without being too kind of shy. Like they're not like boring baby colours that are like <laughs> too pastel. Yeah, got a bit of like interest. And I think if you're gonna make something for a baby you love, use it with yarn you love. I think. Yeah, I was also thinking it might be good for. Um, the Ketch Harbour shawl in Fiona's book. Oh, nice. Because that's yeah. in a DK, and I've been looking for something that would be good for that. And that's quite... The original is um, silk and merino, but mm-hmm. I think this would do very nicely and does have sheen, as you said. So if you treat yourself to a lovely new merino, 
we'd recommend uh, nurturing fibres. Yes, and we'll put some pictures on the website of these lovely skeins that we've got and a little bit of knitting we've done. our tip top top tip as it's now known which uh this month sophie's taking the lead on this one because i have in the past tried to knit in the cinema mm -hmm. i have mostly failed to knit in the cinema but you tell me that you have some tips that might sort me out i think i've cracked it so i have uh people listening to this podcast may remember when i went to see mad max and i was trying to knit a sock <laughs> and it went very badly but now i've cracked it i've done a, quite a few cinema trips over pre-Christmas, post-Christmas, mm -hmm. and I think I've got my like setup. First okay. of all, you have to know your project, as in, is it just all knit? Mm -hmm. That's fine. Mm -hmm. Moss stitch, I've got, got, got on all right with that. Yeah. Definitely can do moss stitch. Rib, also mm -hmm. fine in the cinema. Because I don't know if you've noticed, uh, Lydia, but cinemas are often very dark. They are, which is a problem for knitters. So you first step, know your project. Second step, can you knit without looking? And I think a lot of people think, oh no, I couldn't do that. It's actually easier than you think. So I think it's a lot about touch, you know, got a mm -hmm. feeling where your stitches are, get your self-confidence. I think if you watch telly or anything, mm -hmm. or if you do stuff like while, you know, maybe you're out and about, you know, mm -hmm. thing, you're probably looking, knitting without looking more than you think. Yeah. So um, my third tip within this is, I mean, this might be obvious things, but think about it. Try it next time you're in cinema. Don't put your yarn in your bag and then start knitting because I've had it before where the yarn has just jumped and merrily gone away. <laughs> what I've done is uh, wedge your yarn between your knees. What a pleasant phrase. <laughs> and you unravel a little bit then wedge it in between your knees and then knit in it until it gets like run out and then you never want to like leave your yarn so it can jump away. Right. So don't even just sit in your lap. Even if you do just want to do a bit of wedging. I think that's a good okay. insurance. Make sure nothing escapes. Mm -hmm. If you need to check your stitches wait for a scene in the film, which is quite light. So I shouldn't just get my smartphone out and <laughs> take the torch on. Again, these one might be really obvious things, but I really like waiting for the scene where suddenly it'll like cut to a bit of sky and you just hold it up, like, just turn. <laughs> like, oh yeah, yeah, it's all good. Cool. Well, maybe that should be my New Year's resolution to knit in Try cinemas. Well. Yeah, also, depend on the film. If you're gonna see like something super action-y, nah, maybe not. Maybe not. I went to see Joy, that was quite good. Very good knitting film. There we yeah. go. I'm just... What were you knitting? Uh, just a rib scarf. It's very nice. It's very now known cool. as a cinema scarf. Ah. Mm. Oh, maybe I should have a special cinema project. There you go, guys. This is my tip. I think if you like knitting in front of the telly, which I'm sure many of you have tried this before, mm. knitting in the cinema. And then there's also the little bit when I finish and I come out and I'm like, we sit, we've gone somewhere after the film. I'm just going to check my knitting, see what happened. I'm like, oh, so it's far, so okay. good. Yeah. So this month we are talking to Sarah Corbett, who is the founder of the Craftivist Collective. She is an activist, essentially. She kind of grew up in an activist family and she was a professional activist. And now she still is, but now she's more of a professional craftivist. So we're going to talk to her about, um, about starting the Craftivist Collective and about all sorts of issues that are close to her heart and how people can get involved as well as uh, various collaborations she's done with all sorts of amazing institutions and people. And so we think you're gonna enjoy this as much as we did. Hello, so I'm Sarah Corbett and I founded the Craftivist Collective. Hi Sarah. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for a little cozy corner of London, as Sarah recommended. So was your local like stop off for tea and work, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Not anymore sadly. But they leave in two months. Oh really? Oh well I was gonna say this is a great interview spot but uh, <laughs> for the next few months. Yeah. Yeah. So get in here quick. And yeah. so we've got some fun ambient noise, as you can probably hear, um, which we like and we hope you like too. So, um, our first question for you, Sarah, since you introduced yourself as the founder of the Craftivist Collective, mm -hmm. we're going to ask you um, to describe the Craftivist Collective to somebody who doesn't know what it is. Yeah, it's a difficult one yeah. to explain, but I always try and say it's people all over the world, mm -hmm. on their own or in groups, who do activism through needlework mm -hmm. with us. And specifically for us, the craftivism is slow, gentle, intriguing activism. Mm -hmm. Okay. And why was it needlework that specifically 
started your craftivism movement for you? <laughs> yeah, because craft could mean anything, so I always say needlework. Um, for me, there's certain elements of needlework and hand embroidery, so not machine embroidery, that is fits really well with activism. So the fact that it naturally slows you down because you can't thread a needle too fast, you've got to focus on it. Mm -hmm. You can't multitask while you stitch. Because it's repetitive, it helps you think more, it helps you calm down if you're anxious or depressed or overwhelmed about social injustice. It makes us have a clear mind to think deeply. And the comfort of crafting is really good to ask ourselves difficult questions about, are we part of the solution or problem? What we can do personally, what we can do collectively? and it's a very beautiful small delicate thing that people naturally seem to want to connect with more than if you scream at them with a giant placard often more delicate placard yeah. <laughs> and there's lots of other reasons but I could waffle forever but they're sort of the key no we want the waffle yeah, yeah. yeah tell us more <laughs> so your background uh, is quite political you were brought up uh, your family sort of involved in activism mm -hmm. and sort of uh, involved that as a child and then you made the move to craftivism what was the sort of yeah. starting point of that yeah, so my, my dad's still a local vicar in West Everton in Liverpool, which is very low-income area, lots of social issues going on there. And my mum was a little a nurse and now is the local councillor and cabinet member in Liverpool City Council. So all we ever did was talk about religion and politics, quite unusual, and we're surrounded by local inequality as well as seeing global issues. So my parents would be drinking disgusting fair trade coffee because it tasted horrific at the time <laughs> when you know you could only get certain amounts of fair trade coffee so I grew up in an activist family but I I was always an introvert so never and always got tired of going to activism meetings and didn't always think that they were that effective because people would be screaming, you know, find on a target to scream at, or be very cliquey and insular. Often you get the same people at activism meetings. Um, and I joined it with craftivism because, like I said before, as soon as I started crafting, which was just a hobby, it was never with the plan to link it in with my activism. But I noticed a lot of my concerns about quick, transactional, or angry activism would could be potentially solved by this very slow, reflective crafting that was also very delicate and very small and gentle for people to engage with in a provocative rather than a preachy way. So it all happened by accident. I never never thought I would be a craftivist. <laughs> what was the sort of the, the first piece of craftivism? Can you think of what the piece that kind of started the process of your thinking of like, oh, there's something in this? Yeah, I think when I was doing cross-stitch, I noticed how it made me very mindful of how stressed I was and how exhausted I was as an activist. And then doing that, um, I googled craft and activism, thinking I think there might be a link here in terms of just the process more than the physical creation. And the word existed, but there wasn't any products I could projects I could join in with. So the first project I did were these mini protest banners, which mm -hmm. I've shown you, and that was very much as a reaction to giant activism banners that are often very negative and very angry and very large and often quite ugly, saying no this, no to that, which is very, you know, depressing often. And I thought, well, what if I did mini protest banners in cross-stitch? that had provocative questions or slogans or facts that I could put around in places where you wouldn't expect activism and linked in with the issue, whether it was sweatshops or climate change, and see whether that engaged people in a different way. Um, so that was my first project. Yeah. And so when you started craftivism and you said you like looked online to see what was going on, was there? did you find anything um, in terms of history or any craftivism that had happened before it was kind of called that? Yeah, so the lady Betsy Grier coined the word craftivism, her blog was really about how people have used it in the past, so knit and circles um, where women talk about make do and mend and talk about um, yeah, recycling and upcycling and then looking at you know, the big AIDS quilt which was a massive quilt but I think for me I saw a lot of that and saw how it worked in that context but my journey into it was thinking activism is often negative, very aggressive, very extrovert and not very relational mm -hmm. so all my projects I was looking for 
before were ones where it could build relationships with people in a gentle way, or whether where it could be more provocative but in small, more like guerrilla marketing style. Mm -hmm. And there wasn't anyone doing anything that I could join in with mm -hmm. that I sort of saw the activism. A lot of the craftivism out there is actually donation or fundraising. Okay. So I didn't see that it was activism, and because my background is as an activist professionally and in my personal life, I was very, I'm quite strict on what I think is activism mm -hmm. and what is just awareness raising, or sometimes bad development. Sometimes, mm -hmm. as craft lovers, we can put our love for craft before the actual issue and do things that we think might be helpful and we have good intentions, but actually might be harmful like making teddies for children in Africa to smile which is one quote I read on the website which is not not very healthy good mm -hmm. development okay yeah sort of like craft washing almost you say like green yeah. washing where they yeah and I think it comes from people seeing you know struggles that people have and saying I genuinely want to help and I have this love of craft and can I use it so I just did a manifesto recently which says craft is our tool not our taskmaster as a way to say I'm a craft lover as well you know it can be easy to go I care about this and I love this I'll just squeeze them together and it'll be a good thing because I have good intentions when actually with any activism you need to say what's the root cause that we're trying to change is it a policy law is it a corporate issue is it our own habits is it consumer choice is it that we think the children in Africa need to smile and our sock monkeys will help and actually we haven't asked whether those children want our sock monkeys is it a colonial issue there's lots lots and lots we need to think about and um, which is why it is messy and complex and we need a bit of time to reflect and think through it all the notion that you use craft and it's the stitch and this very mindful, mm. personal process. Are you trying to access people in a more one-to-one sort of -one way? Is, is that part of the, the process of craftivism, do you think? Well, I think there's lots of benefits. So one is on your own or in a group. The first thing you do is you stitch and you think all of our kids have little craft of thoughts in. So they're questions to say, while you're sitting and stitching, you know, lots of people talk about being in the zone when they craft, I'm sure a lot of your yeah. readers. A lot of knitters and, yeah, yeah. Exactly. anyone who reads will know, yeah. You get in the zone, you look up and it's suddenly dark and you forgot to eat for five hours because you're totally in the yeah. flow. <laughs> and I think that craft, because it's very repetitive and once your hands know what to do, your brain can wander off and we can exercise our inner monologue which we often don't do in this busy world we live in because we don't get the space to do it that's such a like a sweet spot that i think that we should hijack and say okay now that you've got this comfort of craft you know what you're doing let's look through these crafter thoughts about what can we do personally what can politicians do what can we do nationally globally collectively all those messy questions of where have i got power and influence where don't i have power and influence where should i prioritize my time am i burnt out and i need to you know look at more of my own well-being am i could i do more and i'm too nervous to do it and where could i look but having that space to think through it on your own critically or with a group in a lovely, you know, craft circle. I think, yeah, hand embroidery and handcraft is such a perfect tool for that. So, so almost finding the answer within the process. Exactly. Yeah. And then obviously you've got to think about what are you making for who, you know. So our footprint for you to make for yourself as a physical reminder to be a good global citizen. So every step that you take has an impact, whether you like it or not, and can we make it a good one? So really trying to think about living ethically and intentionally rather than being on autopilot, and that's that physical reminder. And we love, you know, seeing our own crafts we've made, haven't we? Put it up somewhere to look at. So that's a nice physical reminder. But then it might be making, you know, embroidering a handkerchief for your local MP to build a relationship with them, and you make the one timeless, encouraging handkerchief saying, "Don't blow it. Use your power and influence for good." We know you've got a tough job, but I'm here to support you to do the best job you can. And you don't make them twelve hankies. You make them one, and mm -hmm. it's a gift for them to build a relationship with. So all of the projects for me, it's sort of problem solving. It's saying what's the issue and where can craft be useful. And sometimes the best thing is to go on a march or to sign a petition mm -hmm. and not to get your knitting needles out or to get your crochet hooks out. It's actually to go. Actually, I just need to change my own habits with 
looking at having cleaner energy in my own home yeah. or having a difficult conversation with my friends who's just said something racist that I need to <laughs> challenge now rather than send them something six weeks later that I've stitched for them. So it's Choose your moments, choose your craft. Yeah, <laughs> and there's a craft to craftivism, like there's a craft to anything else and you hone it and you're you're constantly learning and being strategic and I think that's really important to remember. But it's still really fun. Knitting as a form of meditation has always yeah. been something really lovely and helpful. Like you say, once you've got the kind of muscle memory down. Yeah. And you can, like, I, you know, both me and Sophie probably can watch TV while we knit, for yeah. example. Yeah. So that's one form of doing two things at the same time. But you're right, you can use that kind of space that it gives you in your mind. And to really we're really strict on that when we have yeah. workshops. We have, you know, instrumental music in the background rather mm -hmm. than lyrics. We make sure there's not too much other stimulus. Mm -hmm. We try and make sure it's not dropping so people can sit together mm -hmm. for however many hours they need to discuss it. And, you know, when we're in craft circles, you don't need eye contact, so people open up much more than they would if it was a normal political meeting. So there's all these powerful things that craft brings to activism that I just think we should we should start using. And I've been lucky to work with Falmouth University and neuroscientists on exactly what you said, that mm. meditation. And we were looking at how there's all that evidence now, which is brilliant, and looking on top of that of, okay, so can we use craft, the repetitive actions of handicraft, to do more critical thinking, which people are aware of now because we're fed so much information, we often aren't very critical mm. and are in a monologue if you imagine it as a muscle, it's a pretty weak muscle now because we're so used to doing so many things. Mm. So can we use craft in terms of critical thinking, which is part of our well-being, which is part of being a good global citizen? Mm. So it's really, yeah, really interesting seeing all the evidence coming out and being part of those meetings with neuroscientists. Stuff. It's fascinating. We'll have to get some of these guys on board as well. <laughs> yeah, 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 you, them one day. yeah, you should. Yeah, you, um, a woman who runs Stitch Links got her name I can get you in touch with her sure. put that out but yeah, yeah, yeah she's yeah. good yeah, that's yeah. on Cork Hill oh that's her name wow I think that we can probably lead nicely on to kind of your collaborations mm -hmm. or more of the collaborative work you've done with Craftivism because it sounds like your collaboration with Farmworth or at least kind of working with them yeah. sounds really really interesting but I yeah. know that you've also worked with um, like big galleries and the mm -hmm. V&A for example and Secret Cinema all of which I'm fan of. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, tell us a little bit about, I don't know, what the highlights were of, of that. Yeah. Well, like I said, I didn't expect to you know, go from being a burnt out activist to a full-time craftivist. <laughs> and what's amazing is all these people have come to us and said, we like what you're doing, how can it fit? And I used to work for you know, Oxfam as a campaigner, and sadly we wouldn't get secret cinema knocking down our doors, which is a shame. So there's a real, you know, craft is a real door opener to get social injustice discussed in places it wouldn't normally. So for secret cinema, we nearly collapsed at the end of five weeks of six shows a week, and it was for Shawshank Redemption. And for me, it was perfect because Shawshank Redemption, there's a famous handkerchief that's embroidered on the, the evil warden's door, so I recreated that. And Fine Cellwork, I connected them with Fine Cellwork, who do incredible transformational work, mostly with male prisoners, started in Wandsworth Prison, on using handicraft mm. in men's cells where they're not allowed to bring other um, arts into their cell with them and can spend hours stitching these tapestries that they get a wage for but also helps with inner monologue mm. exercises mm. which is good if you're a violent person or you've come from a very fight or flight you know survival mode in the outside world and amazing for mental health mm. and anxiety so we got people dressed as prisoners stitching we had different quotes from prisoners and it was looking at the revolving door problem in the prison system and we had fine cell wear cushions and quilts all over the space um, and testimonies and photographs of the men stitching but looking like it was the old era of Shoshank Redemption and it was amazing because we got of 5,000 people over five weeks come in and out, including Ruby Wax and Johnny Greenwood, which is fun. Um, and a lot of the men, especially more than the women, were really getting into it because they'd never had an opportunity to stitch before. And because it was male prisoners on the walls, and we were saying, you know, in our 
acting, you know, if you're good enough, you could be like this guy over here and um, you can make some money for it. And everyone in secret cinema gets given uh, what they have committed as a crime. So if someone was in for tax avoidance, we'd say you're probably quite anxious and nervous of being here. This is something you can do in your cell to, you know, make yourself feel less anxious. If someone was in for triple murder, we'd say this really helps with anger management. So it was more about where craft can be useful in that context, mm -hmm. but also why do we demonise people in prison and how can we put ourselves in their shoes while we stitch and think and discuss. So really powerful. New exciting thing you've got possibly coming up in the next year or so is a book. Yes, tell us more about that. Yeah, so I have a little book of craftivism which we've sold nearly 5,000 around the world, which is brilliant. People like Lauren LeBain have got a copy and enjoy it, so that's good. Um, but now I feel like I've done craftivism full time for the last three years and started it up nearly six years ago, which is crazy how time's gone. And the more I do, I teach a lot at universities and the more I do workshops, I've done nearly 300 workshops around the world, the more I've learned what people get out of it, what the strengths and weaknesses are of it, working with different organisations. And I think it's time to write a bigger book, which I think the title will be, drumroll Drum roll, yeah. <laughs> um, how to be a craftivist, the art of gentle protest. I love it already. Yeah. yeah, so it'll be a tough one. So this year I'm saying no to a lot of work because I've got to focus on writing this book. And my hope with the book is that it will be a good, it'll be a good textbook, but it won't read like a boring textbook of there's ways we could do craftivism really well, there's ways that we could do it actually where it's harmful, and what, what are the things we can learn as a craft, how do we hone our craft and craftivism and bringing in lots of case studies of what we've done with Marks and Spencers and the living wage to personal inner activism um, to conflict resolution but also look into everything from what fonts to use, what size, what colours are best in your fabrics, how to use it as a conversation starter and not preach at people. So it's going to be a big project but I hope it will be useful for people. I get the feeling, well I hope, that people listening to this are kind of feeling enthused about craftivism and thinking how they can get involved. What would you say is like a good starting point? What's like something someone could start doing like right after they start finish listening to the podcast? What advice would you give them just to start? <laughs> um, is it cheesy to say, go on the website? And no, oh thank God. That sounds awful, but it's sort of true in a way. Yeah, I mean, we've... I've spent a long time making our kits where inside each kit you have lots of tips on why you have to slow down, things like listen to people you disagree with. We have different crafter thoughts in each kit for you to reflect on depending on what the kit's about. So I think that's the best thing is just to start with that. Often I get people saying, I've seen what you do and I'm going to start a group and often that's too big for people and you end up... Um, it's too big a girl so you don't end up doing it and then you feel bad. So I think the first thing to do is enjoy looking on our website and our Instagram and Pinterest, grab a kit, make a cup of tea, see how it goes. If you get stuck, email me. If you want to share your craft of thoughts, you'd be surprised at how people might then share what they're thinking. Do you have this online conversation? or buy a couple and do it with your mum or your sister or your mate. But don't see it as a massive thing, just yeah. have a go and see where it leads. Very good advice. The question, Sarah, <laughs> what animal would you be? Um, I asked this on Facebook last night because I couldn't come up with my own answer. And my friend Hugh gave me the best answer, which I'd hope I could strive towards, which is a bee, because mm -hmm. Linkson would be in a sewing bees. Nice, yeah. But also he said, um, my work is like pollinating, you know, you do bits, like you plant seeds and then other people start doing it. And as a bee, you're always working alongside people, alongside other bees. Mm -hmm. you all, have your role but within the you're the piece of a bigger jigsaw puzzle so i think a bee is a lovely one and i buzz around a lot <laughs> yeah lovely. Yeah, yeah very nice yes you are a bee yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um and i guess to kind of wrap up if people do want to um find out more about what you do and about you where should they go online like what's your web address it is craftivist-collective.com 
and then we're quite active on social media as well so have a rummage on those <laughs> are you like at craftivist collective or at craftivists but if you just yeah. google craftivist collective and it, it's all on the website but twitter and instagram especially is at craftivists cool perfect it's that thing of put, put it on the internet somewhere and it will you know fish around in there it'll come up yeah <laughs> well thank you very much sarah thanks so much for having me Everyone can go forth and craft debate. It's sort of like pollinate <laughs> and craftivism. Yeah. yeah. Hells to the yes. <laughs>
which actually it turns out had fallen out of favour during the war because it was associated with. It was known as the German knitting. German knitting. Yeah. yeah. And then after World War Two, there was different feelings about that. Yes. So it fallen out of style. Well, now it's called continental knitting. And I say, yeah, it's quite a popular style. Yes. And what else have we got? Well, I think one of the nice things about Elizabeth, when you Elizabeth, as if I know her, Lizzie, Lizzie, E Z, <laughs> um, that she has a very kind of. Her style of writing is quite laid back and no nonsense. Mm. Um, so I think as a when you read her patterns, there's kind of like a very friendly kind of conversational tone, and I think that's very refreshing sometimes because the way she kind of talks about it, it's like yes, of course you can do this now. Cast on this, and now you're going to knit, and yeah. now you're going to make this. And look, you've made a jumper. Come on, that wasn't that hard, kind of thing. Yeah, she's sort of like the opposite of spoon feeding or hand holding. Yeah, exactly. She's very, which can be yeah, like you say, quite refreshing because she believes in you, which yeah. is quite nice. Um, I guess it could be a bit worrying if you were, you know, like there's a time and a place for that, I guess. Like sometimes that's a bit much, but sometimes it's what you need is something yeah. to be like, come on, you can do this. Of course you can knit in the dark. Don't be ridiculous. Yeah. Of course you can kind of thing. Um, yeah. So she had just like a very kind of can do attitude about, in fact, I have a fun quote. I want the which fun quote. I'm just going to rustle my notes. So everybody knows that I made notes. <clears throat> um, <laughs> I did my homework. So this is a quote from Knitting Without Tears, I think, which is one of her books. That's Possibly good, her first book. Good name. Yes, it is. Um, and it's, really, all you need to become a good knitter are wool, needles, hands, and slightly below average intelligence. Of course, superior intelligence, such as yours and mine, is an advantage. Well, you see, that's the kind of thing we're talking about. That's yeah. the, the classic words of uh, Elizabeth Zimmerman. Exactly. Uh, another um, thing she's sort of famed for, is that like mm-hmm. a, a good way to put it, is her EPS, which is the Elizabeth Percentage System. Yeah. So it's so like a maths formula to uh, determine how many stitches to cast on for a jumper. And uh, you have to sort of work with the proportions of the sleeves, with mm-hmm. the body. And uh, so you can work it out no matter what yarn or gauge you are working at. And that's yeah. sort of her can-do, like, oh, yeah, it's just a bit of maths. And then, look, you've made a jumper. Yeah, and I think there are various forms of it for different kind of shapes and styles yeah. of jumpers. Um, so, yeah, again, it's just quite DIY. Yeah. Oh, she's also known for the I-chord. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Go for it. How amazing is that? It's the I chord, which stands for idiot chord. Hey. So I think it's going to be, it's so easy, you idiot, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Again, more of her charming, refreshing nature. Yeah, and um, I chords are just very, very useful and very, very easy. So we can say thank you, Lizzie, for that. And what else is she known for? Baby surprise jacket. That's a hugely popular pattern. And I think the, the magic of that is such a simple flat knit and then it almost folds like origami to make yeah. a jacket. Yeah. So you probably know a lot of her patterns. She has uh, Schoolhouse Press, yes. uh, which she set up from her home, which was based in Wisconsin. Yeah. Uh, and her daughter, Meg Swanson, also a big uh, figure, important figure in knitting, mm-hmm. uh, ran that and had her patterns and her books, um, such as The Opinionated Knitter, Knitting Around with Elizabeth Zimmerman. Yeah, and there's also uh, Knit One Knit All, which is all garter stitch patterns. Yeah. Uh, Nissa's Almanac, so that's fun. This is all your further reading, guys. Yes. For, uh, <laughs> Um, and oh, she also had a TV show yeah. on PBS, um, which I haven't seen, unfortunately. I'm sure I read something like they didn't have a television where they were, so she hired one and like watched the t- like watched the segment where she was on, and then that was it. Like that was all the TV she watched. She just hired it for that. <laughs> I think it's quite a sweet little detail. It's very cute. But um, through reading about her her TV show. I found out that she could knit on the back of her husband's motorcycle. Well, there we go. So if you think you can't even knit in the cinema sitting still, you know, of course you can. That's what Elizabeth Sim would say. Yeah. We definitely recommend having a, a read, like, get out one of her books and yeah. you'll kind of find this kind of, like, charming nature of her knitting. And I feel like whenever I read it, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's how I feel about knitting as well. She's just kind of, like, so enthusiastic and so engaged and kind of clever about it. Like Yeah, and she, one, yeah. she did the first kind of knitting retreat style things, I think, as well. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. find that in my notes. This or is at good. least she definitely, yeah, she did a lot of teaching. Um, and it sounds like she was a wonderful teacher yeah. and people really enjoyed her classes. She also invented the word unvented, which is kind of meaning like she uninvented something that already existed. So she was mm-hmm. always like finding new techniques and new stitch uh, ways. So yeah kind of laying claim to something oh look I've invented this stitch but not really because you're kind of standing on the shoulder of everyone else who's Mm. ever knitted something again yeah and she's spoken like a lot of people who talk about the way that she worked talk 
about her as more of an engineer or sculptor. So before we wrap up for uh, this first Elizabeth Zimmerman version of The Knitters You Should Know About, we have some um, very important extra bits of information from Megan Fernandez. The first bit is... So I asked Megan, because I know that um, she, like all knitters, is a big Elizabeth Zimmerman fan. I asked her what her uh, favourite Elizabeth Zimmerman tip was. And she says that it's her tip for weaving in ends in garter stitch. So you unply the yarn you've used, the end that needs weaving in, and then you use a really sharp needle to skim the surface of the fabric into the bumps of valleys with each thinner strand and the yarn just disappears. The magic. Says Megan. So, I feel that's the one th- first things I discussed with Megan when I met her. She was like, <laughs> do you know how to weave in this? <laughs> and you're like, we're going to be friends. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we will leave you with the words of Elizabeth Zimmerman. Properly practice, knitting soothes the troubled spirit and it doesn't hurt the untroubled spirit either. And that's from Knitting with Tears. Oh, Knitting Without Tears. <laughs> The little known sort of unloved cousin of knitting without tears. (laughs) Knitting with tears, it's just like a book full of patterns that are way too hard to knit. (laughs) Anyway, just the idea is stressing Sophie out, so we're going to move swiftly on to top three. Top three, in which we make slightly arbitrary lists of things. Hey, I think very long and hard about my top three. Oh, me too, but I. Yeah, okay. Yeah, no, we'll leave it at that. So this week's topic, because it's a little bit cold and wintry and uh, it's been Christmas and we've been well fed and watered over the Christmas period, we're going with comfort foods and our top three. And we know you guys always like the food-based ones. We do. We feel like top three always ends up being a discussion of food. It's true. Do you reckon, what do you reckon our percentages of food-based? Oh, 75. So that's, you know, everybody knows what comfort food is, but just for clarity, food that you eat for comfort, because it's cold and you're tired. Yes. Yes? And you're yeah. ill, maybe? Oh, yeah, maybe I'm ill. Yeah. Yeah, and you just want some comfort food. Yeah. You're, like, getting out your easy knitting project. You're turning on a an episode of a TV show you've already watched a million times that you know you're going to laugh at. You're not going to risk anything. So, Sophie, what are your top three comfort foods? Um, I'm going to go with... I don't know if you know this meal, but by the end of this top three, you will. Uh, uh-oh. <laughs> It's a meal called, uh, sh- a dish called shashuka. I do know it, yes. Yes. So, if you don't know this, good one. so good. It's Apparently, it's a Tunisian dish. Huh. Uh, that's what like, my research is, because I was like, oh, and also spelling it, that's fun. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, like, a, basically a tomato-y, kind of a little spicy dish with, like, you know, you have your tomato-y sauce. Yep. And then you poach eggs in the sauce, and you eat it with some crunchy bread, you just what I have. Very good. The first time I was made it was when I'd just been I'd just been dumped the night before, and someone was like, "Oh, I'm gonna make you this dish. No, oh, this will be great." And they made it, and I was like, "Oh, my life is so much better." Comfort food. It's like the food equivalent of Bell and Sebastian. Yes. <laughs> okay. okay. Good. Good. Good start. Be warmed. <laughs> uh, second, I go with mac and cheese. It's a solid choice. I've only come recently. I think I've only eaten mac and cheese. The first time in three months. That's a really boring fact. But I remember just once I'd been talking to you and I was like, I'm going to go home and make mac and cheese. And I did. It's changed my life. I like to stir in mustard. Moving on. <laughs> That's the end of that. I don't want to bore you guys with stories about mac and cheese. We're going to move on. Um, number one. It sounds really lame, but I want to say a cup of tea and toast. That's not lame. It's going to save, you know. You're so an English woman. <laughs> it's going to save so many situations where you're feeling cold and hungry. Yeah. Cup of tea and toast. Coming a little bit drunk. I'm going to have tea and toast. I don't yeah. want a kebab or anything mm-hmm. like that. Not that I drink a lot, guys. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> but a bit of marmalade? We've already done the toast thing. We don't yeah, have to we love toast. The... Newsflash. If you and Sophie love toast. <laughs> but I think that is a great simple comfort. Um, if you don't have bread or milk, then you... What's going on? Yeah, like, why? Why? Sort of life out. Anyway. Okay, good. Boom. Comfort food. This is going to be one of those top threes where we overlap a fair bit again, I think. But I'll try and embellish with some stories like you did to try and jazz it all up a little. As I do with my comfort foods, as you'll find out. Anyway, so um, at number three, I'm going baked beans and cheese. Nice. Jack potato, baked beans and cheese, specifically. So baked beans and cheese has got to be, it's like 
one of the best combinations known to man. And you were really specific about the way you cook beans. I am. Because I add tomatoes to them, cherry tomatoes. I cut the tomatoes in half and I warm them in a pan until they go kind of soft. And then I add the beans and that way the makes the beans feel like real food somehow. They're kind of healthy. Well, I'm doing yeah. air quotes with the healthy. Yeah, it just makes them a bit more tomatoey, which is... Well, adding tomatoes to them makes them tomatoey. They're so sugary and salty. <laughs> And then I always add Worcester sauce. Mm. Okay, moving swiftly on. Yeah, anyway, so the jacket potato, ideally, the jacket potato has been made properly in an oven for hours and hours and hours and has, like, really crispy brown skin and the potatoes all fluffy inside and I put the butter on the potato, then the beans, then the cheese, and it's... And Sophia's doing, like... It's, like... Like, punching the air and, like, pumping, yes! Like, yes! So delicious! So delicious! So... That is, I mean, how do we go up from here? I, I don't, don't know. know. Let's Wait, find out. Where are you going to take me next? <laughs> so next is macaroni cheese. Oh, yes. I am known for that, like, in, my, in the house I used to live in, um, one day I was in the kitchen was making macaroni, macaroni cheese. cheese. <laughs> it was, I made so much macaroni cheese that I just dug a little hole in it and it went inside. Um, like tombs from the Xbox. <laughs> no. Um, one of my housemates came in whilst I was making macaroni cheese. She was like, you make a lot of macaroni cheese. And I was like, yeah. And then she was like, I think you've made it every week since you've lived here. And I'd lived there for like two years at that point. And I was like, hey, if I ain't broke. Well, exactly. So, but I, you know, I like to make a big pan of macaroni cheese and put it in the oven. But more recently, um, if I've been, been in a bit more of a rush, I've made more like kind of craft style macaroni cheese where the sauce is runny um, mm. and not crispy on top, which I would have thought I wouldn't like so much, but... It's actually pretty good. Needs must. Yep. You gotta have exactly. that macaroni cheese. And then last but definitely not least what is, is of course Marmite toast. Oh god, we have two We're alike. So similar. Are we gonna have to stop doing this podcast and just homogenizing it <laughs> to one presenter? <laughs> well I think maybe we should start doing a top th- maybe we're gonna need to bring in Eli or something to get a bit of variety around. And Eli's here. gonna be like, no, no, no to our toast. <laughs> Yeah, so um, as always, we're very interested to find out what your favourite comfort foods are. Now now I'm thinking of all sorts of other comforting foods, but I, let's, we're just going to leave well, it to the Well, I feel like often people comment on the Ravelry forums and then I'm like, oh, why didn't we do that? Like, just, of course, why would we love to hear one. from you guys? Yeah. You can either, so yes, you can either get in touch from the Ravelry forums, find us on there, Pom Pom Podcast, there's a little subcategory, mm-hmm. or we have an email address, which is uh, podcast at pompommag.com. So send us fun stories, ideas, yeah. feedback, anything you want. Pictures. Yeah. I mean, love that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and remember you can catch up with anything you've missed or anything, any details of any of the yarns or patterns or people we talked about. Uh, they'll be on the blog post, uh, the Pom Pom website, www.pompommag.com. And so all that remains to say now is Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Thank you for listening. Thanks to Sarah. Thanks to you guys. And tell us all about the fun foods you like or other top threes you want us to do. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Pomcast is produced by Lydia Gluck and Sophie Scott with lots of help from Eli Block, who created the original music for this show. For more Eli-related music, you can go to goodgirlandthebadtimes.com. Thanks, as always, to Megan Fernandez, the co-creator and founder of Pom Pom Quarterly, which is the magazine from which the idea for this podcast sprung. And thanks to Amy Collins, who does lots of help behind the scenes. Thanks again to Sarah Corbett, the craftivist, for talking to us, taking time out of her very busy schedule. We're very grateful and we're very inspired by her. And last but not least, thanks to all you Pom Pom buyers, subscribers and listeners. 